0: I keep missing my fucking point with Edward, which is that uh, I think the crux of it with him is that I distrust him, not because he so rapidly falls in love, but because he because with 100 years of experience under his belt, he falls in love and doesn't dare doubt it. Doubt. Doubt is a fucking defining theme in romance. Doubt. Oh do I, don't I? Read fucking Jane Eyre. Read Bronte. Tell me that they are not, the doubt is not a core question.
1: This week, we're continuing Twilight in Part Two, aka Exacerbate, which apparently does not have a T.
2: Hi, readers. I'm Jordan. And I'm Katie. And welcome to Not Another Heroine, the podcast where we break down the best and worst fictional heroines those swashbuckling ladies who have to work a little harder than expected for their happy ending. Want
1: to see what's next on our TBR list? Subscribe to us on YouTube or follow us on Instagram for a sneak peek at upcoming content or to help us pick our next book.
2: (laughs) Does everybody please have a shot ready? (laughs) I've already taken two.
0: (laughs) I'm going to mispronunciate some shit.
2: (laughs) Welcome to Twilight Part 2. We have Rob again as a as a guest speaker <laughs> because we ran out of time during part one.
1: <laughs> so tired.
2: <laughs> okay, okay. So we're we're gonna try and get through this as fast as possible. Just so you know, we are recording Twilight's part one, two, and three in the same session. We have had several cocktails to start. Um, yeah okay, I want to caveat. I love this book and this movie. <laughs>
0: So do I, for that matter, honestly. i become undiscerning as uh, the drinks accumulate.
2: Where we left off is the the car accident happened, Edward saved the day, but Bella misinterpreted his actions as, uh, oh, he saved me, but he's not talking to me the next day, so he must hate me and regret saving my life. That's where we left off with part one. So for part two, Mike, Eric, and Tyler, who are like the main three um, male figures outside of Eric in the store. Outside of Eric, I don't know where Eric came from. Outside of
0: Charlie, right?
2: Outside of <laughs> Edward.
0: Oh, outside of Edward. Yeah. Um.
2: Oh, Daddy, Daddy issues. issues. Oh, well, Charlie's uh, a
1: male figure
0: too.
2: Outside of Eric. <laughs> oh.
1: Uh, we'll just excuse this by the fact that Jordan has seen The Last Mermaid recently. We're just kidding (laughs) about that. Uh, his name is Edward. Edward. Edward.
2: So Mike, Eric, and Tyler all tried to invite Bella to the spring dance, and she manages to avoid all of them, except there's this one very weird instance where she's in her truck in the parking lot of the high school, and she gets... In line to kind of exit the parking lot. But Edward is in front of her in his shiny silver Volvo. And he just stops in the middle of the parking lot. And it's almost as if he plans this because Tyler comes up to her as she's sitting in her truck, I think. Is this Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. To ask her to the spring social.
1: Again, I feel like this kind of speaks to the fact that like Bella and Edward have this like secret knowledge of, you know, I know that our relationship is something more and you need to alienate anyone else that's interested in you for the fact that you think that I'm interested in you, Mm -hmm. even though I'm giving you like all of these weird signals. But you need to accept the fact that me and you understand that you are not going to go to the dance with any of, you know, these weird dudes that you're not interested in and you're only interested in me. Um, and I'm going to watch you do that. So, Bella. Again, this is caveat. Uh, I love Edward and that maybe speaks to my own daddy issues in a way weirdly you know Thanks for admitting uh, that uh, I'm to call you out on that <laughs> <laughs> but also that. Uh, yeah I did, so
0: I, I did miss that a little bit myself though because I remember I, I, I the whole like uh, will you won't you acknowledge on both parts will you won't you acknowledge the you know other parties' interest? I'd kind of just set that aside that it's, I don't want to say it was filler, but I mean, that's kind of how it registered to me. Like, oh, yeah, I didn't think about
1: it. Again, women see more into
2: these weird, like nuanced, you know, conversations than maybe men do.
0: Okay.
1: Yeah.
2: So Edward, Edward is forcing Bella into this, like, you need to make a decision regarding this, this dance. But Bella is like, I don't want to go to this dance no matter what you say, no matter what And I appreciated that about Bella. She's like, I liked dance. I'm not good at dancing, so even if bed, if bed were. Even in Bedward, when part of the picture, I would say no to all of these dudes. Because that's exactly what I did. Said
0: bedward. I feel like that's a shot. Yeah. Because <laughs> even the shot. end
1: scene, she's like, uh, I don't want to go to the prom. Why are you forcing me to the prom? And he has this kind of misconception that she thinks that she, you know, is missing out on something by being with him. But I feel like he's kind of missing the point that he almost is coming from the perspective of like the ad- adult perspective that like, oh, you need to go to these. You're going to think about it when you're older. Um,
2: oh, that's actually
1: a good point. I hadn't thought of. That. Yeah. Like, I have not thought about prom until, you know, my partner talked about it. And he's like, did you go to prom? And I'm like, well, yeah, And I feel, like, weirdly proud of that. Like, oh, I went to prom. But it's not one of those, like, you have to go to prom. It's a emotional, significant event in your life. Like, no. It's just some whoever inviting you to a party. So, like, let's get that straight.
2: What's noticeable throughout this point in the story is that both Mike and Eric ask Bella, hey, like, I noticed you haven't talked to any other dudes. Like, you want to talk to me? And... Bella's like, "Fuck no, I have no intention of going to the, the to the dance. I'm not a good dancer. I don't want to go. I have other plans." And it has nothing to do with Edward, which was actually somewhat refreshing. Deeper,
1: like I feel like this is kind of like a deep take, controversial opinion, but I feel like it has everything to do with Edward. So she's going through this, you know, deep conversational attraction relationship with Edward at As all of this is happening, and she has the misconception that she has to say no to all of these people that are asking her to the dance because Edward has this like, I'm not going to tell you I'm attracted to you, but we have this weird like thing going on. And like Bella feels like she has to say no or else it's invalidating whatever she has with Edward. But it's like, Edward, why don't you just like man up in the non
2: like social conforming like why don't you just be a person because i feel like bella's initial reaction to this whole spring dance social thing was like absolutely not i'm not a dancer i'm clumsy as evidenced by i can barely fucking walk to class without tripping over something which also completely unrealistic like how do you survive life um but also it's just it seems separate from edward and i think i valued that as a reader from bella's perspective that she is like no i don't want to go to this dance not because of edward but because i don't want to go see i thought and that's probably
1: like the gen z you know gen x millennial what are you from
2: (laughs) (laughs) take a shot please that's fair
1: (laughs) i accept she is from the victorian era though But, like, Gen Z feels like this is some kind of, like, second conversation happening between, like, between, you know, regular conversations.
2: Between? Between? Take a fucking shot, Katie.
1: you do not want me to take a shot. I do,
2: because I've taken three. It's your turn.
1: (laughs) But it's that secondary conversation that's happening. Okay, I will. She's going to take a shot. Bell,
2: please save me. Well, that's I wish, only, but she said Bell because Bell was on her shot glass. Yeah, I wish you could witness how visually catastrophic. Uh, <laughs> I think it's <laughs> that's
1: fair. It does taste like raisins. It does. I think that's because like uh, Gen Z feels like their subtext be, like behind their tweets when people say things because behind? they're. Do you yeah, not understand no, any so of what I just said?
0: No, no I get what you saying.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, subtext. Because yeah. it's like you're tweeting out into the void, but you're really talking to one person in particular. And. Yeah. In- It's like a not I'm not directly talking to you because I feel like cool about it. But I'm literally fucking talking to you. That's what this whole, you know, girl's choice Tolo thing was about is like I'm saying no to all these boys. But the subtext like behind it is that I would say yes to you. But
0: you were talking about posting tweets that have really one target audience. To my mind, it's it's a it's an equivalent. I'm sorry. I'm a millennial uh, or an early millennial. I'm barely barely not a Gen Xer. It's like vague booking, mm-hmm. yeah. Vague booking—that's the—that's the idea. You remember that term? No. Vague booking, like like oh, if you've got a problem with me, you should just post it, and you know, if you've got an issue, and like you you think my man belongs to you, and blah blah blah. Like, all right, there's clearly a fucking drama cooking off behind the scenes here, like. Don't post about it. Just address it between the three to six people that are involved. (laughs) But I mean, your 400 followers don't need to know. That's that's vague booking. Because
1: I feel like at this point, Bella understands that uh, maybe not explicitly that Edward understands people's voice and thoughts and stuff but i feel like she has kind of an inclination at this point that maybe he's informed of things that normal people aren't and so by her denying other people she's saying that like i'm denying the regular i am interested in whatever you're offering even though you're not explicitly offering and so she's almost like isolating herself
2: That's super true. So this whole subplot is Bella saying, hey, like, I I don't want to go with you. I'm going to to go to Seattle. She devises this fake subplot, which she kind of attempts to make real. But it's really just her excuse because I'm clumsy, I can't dance, and whatever. So after she denies a couple of these dudes, she sets about pairing off her friend group with each other. And this whole subplot between Jessica and Mike... It's kind of painful. Like if if you look at it from like divesting yourself from Bella as a reader, like you are Bella, right? That's how you're meant to read her. But if you look at Jessica and Mike as standard 17 year old characters you have to feel sorry for them because jessica is really not at fault in this entire storyline and mike is absolutely infatuated with bella and yet he's asking bella to the spring dance like in a roundabout way and jessica's just standing on sidelines like oh here's the new girl she's pretty everyone everyone's obsessed with her and yet i have liked this guy probably since elementary school because we've all gone to the same schools Mm. since you know kindergarten yeah. and he refuses to give me the time of day
1: again this spoke to me on like fucking emotional level which makes me a little bit nervous about you know the end mes- message of this but again like i feel like i experienced this viscerally like these people that should probably you know end up or date Or ask out these people that they're already in this like primordial, you know, destined relationship with. But all of a sudden you introduce this like new shiny thing and they're like, oh, my God, do you want to come to the dance with me? And it's like, you're not necessarily seeing me as a person. You're just seeing me as like a new thing. And you feel like you have to ask them out, even though like you don't see me. And it's just this like I it was disturbing. I that's absolutely the adjective that i will you know prescribe to this uh experience as i was reading fucking twilight again as a older person that has a spouse that you know doesn't have to necessarily like go through this experience yeah it was disturbing that absolutely the this was my experience as a kid as a junior as going through high school as like a you know Import to this high school that like people will ask you out to the dance, but they don't necessarily like you as a person. They're just like you're the new thing, and I feel like I should ask you. And you're new, and I don't know you as like a middle schooler, and I didn't go through that like awkward phase with you.
2: Like you're interesting. I'm gonna ask you, but it's like, do you even know me? So this is an interesting point because it it kind of tracks with the colon family as a character set because. Bella, from her description as a character, like, super pale, doesn't fit in at phoenix, is other when she arrives in Forks, e- despite kind of seeming like the normal population. She tracks as not being like other kids, and it's it's weird, right? Like, She's always portrayed as other, not quite like other 17 year olds, doesn't fit at home where she's meant to be. And it's this device that consistently set her up as, like, oh, you're never going to be with a guy like Mike. You're always going to be with someone other, paranormal, special, like Edward.
1: Hmm. Please go on to this next period because, like, freaking (laughs) pre.
2: Okay. So moving on, we've established that all of the guys have obsessed over Bella as the new girl and accepted her to, like, asked her to go to the spring dance, and she has denied them. Another day passes, and Edward invites Bella to sit with him at lunch, <laughs> <laughs> away from his family and and her friends, as a sign that they're taking their relationship to the next level, which is so uh, demonstrative. Is that the right Word, how do you say that? Yeah,
0: no shot, you're good.
2: Okay, good. Excellent. <laughs> and like but I you know, I can remember being in high school thinking like, oh, you sit with your friends, these people sit with each other and like if you differentiate from that rule set, ugh, something's going on. And she differentiates from that rule set and sits with someone new. And obviously that means like, oh, we are different from everyone else. So During this time, she bounces some theories off of Edward regarding what he might be—so radioactive spiders, Superman, Kryptonite, etc. So he explains to Bella that none of these apply. Obviously, like eh, you're you're dumb. It's okay. You're cute. You're dumb, but we're we're moving on. And uh, quaint theory. (laughs) Keep trying but uh by the way i'm not going to be at biology class the, today i'm going to go you know do whatever fuck off <laughs> and that's it so she goes to biology which is seems to be the central point of school for Bella as a character and everyone else. It's either biology or gym. We get no other classes. I would like to note that there is no details provided about math class. Well, I mean, trig is like a reoccurring theme because
1: that's the only class that Jessica and Bella have together. So it's the only time that they can like gossip. I feel like I should also like comment on the fact that I love this sober. But then uh, when I've had like a drink or two, I'm like, oh, this is like
2: not good
1: (laughs) like this is like he's isolating her and the fact that like Mm -hmm. biology is yeah the one class that they have together when he can like uh exacerbate the fact that exacerbate that's how you say that word exacerbate
0: i i heard what you say
1: exacerbate
0: no, there's not a hard <laughs> T there in the middle. Exasperate,
1: derbate, no, Ex- it's What? <laughs> okay, no so take a shot. Okay, so I don't even have one. This Bella shot glass is not full. Uh, but the fact that like biology class is the only class that you have with this hot guy, you're attracted with him, or dr- attracted to him, and you think that he's attracted to you, and that's the only like I fucking relate to bella so much that it makes me a little bit embarrassed but also like now from you know the gloves off perspective of being drunk like this is so scary like he's like oh you know biology classes where i'm gonna make all these strides in our relationship this is where i'm gonna tell you that you you know i didn't like you and all of all of a sudden i like you and you shouldn't say yes to all these people to go into the dance, and you're different. And it's
2: like, that's so scary. It's <laughs> scary and controlling and not healthy. Yeah. It's not okay. Okay. Well, uh,
0: well I'm sorry, well, well uh, she takes a shot for exacerbate, uh, or one tenth of a shot, it looks like. I tried. Uh, <laughs> just want to say, too, from a guy's perspective, like, I, I actually did find myself relating to Bella's social anxiety, her hang-ups about normal high school rituals. I, I found that all very relatable in my <laughs> myself too. So just so you know, like there's a there's a guy side of this too or like, yeah, no, we love to go to prom and go and go dancing and stuff like that. Like, nah, we don't. Like, even if they seem enthusiastic about it, there might be ulterior motives. So
2: mm-hmm. Edward's thing is that he's skipping out on biology class that particular day and he doesn't specify why. So come to find out, she arrives at biology class and they're doing blood typing. So as an aside, I never did blood typing in biology. It's fucking weird. I did this in 8th grade. Did uh, you really? Yeah. Okay. Blood
0: typing? Yeah.
2: Uh-huh. Okay. So, well, whatever. I guess it's normal. New age. Okay. Gen Z. <laughs> Shut <laughs> up, Katie. This
0: We're interested
2: the... in making blood donations. This was the sign. But of course, Bella gets sick and faint at sight of blood, and Mike gallantly escorts her to the nurse's office, only on the way to be interrupted by Edward, who sees them and literally scoops Bella off her feet, you know, 110 pounds of her, because as a reader, we're made very clear at how much she weighs at this point. Uh, Um, That's fair. (laughs) Noteworthy. Yeah. And carries her to the nurse's office, and Mike is just left standing on his own. I want to interject as a point for Mike, because I feel like Mike is the character who doesn't get his due justice in this story. He is but also
1: so controversially speaking maybe there's always going to be a mike that like person that you're not really sexually attracted to you know is the nice guy but he doesn't deserve some kind of like outcome from wh- whatever your relationship is um there's always going to be that guy and i feel like this kind of not got off on <laughs> cuz that sounds bad <laughs> Uh, but it like took advantage of the mics of the world that like, oh, Mike is going to be the guy that you can, you know, he is always trying to get ahead in the world, but you're not really going to like him because you're always looking to
2: Edward. But it's like, I don't like him. You don't like him. But he's not he's, the end goal. So he's not there. there. He's not special compared to the special character that would not normally exist in real life. But like, if you were to take Mike and put him in the real world... And get, put all of, his, all of his actions, like he stands up for Bella in gym class, always mm-hmm. accept her as a, as a teammate. Like, oh, you suck at sports, but I will be your teammate because yeah. I want to protect you. And like, I want to take you to the dance because I, I like you and I'm immediately attracted to you. Mike does all of the right things at the right time. And the only thing that makes <laughs> Mike bad is the fact that Edward exists. Mike is the good guy.
0: Oh, that's even better than how I would have phrased it. Because I, I was going to phrase it, the only thing that makes Mike bad is that he doesn't glitter in sunlight exactly Except, but mm. you're right it's that it's that it's that edward exists but yeah if if mike looked like paul giamatti if mike looked like paul giamatti uh
1: it's objectionable think the spy movie that uh, yeah your uh, readership your I'm listenership blue da da da, da. Uh, <laughs>
0: <laughs> Paul the spy
1: movie that fucking uh whatever that guy's name is so if you've ever seen the illusionist with oh Edward, girl no uh, let's what are I mean, the other I mean, movies that he's in that he plays the rich asshole guy and there's the kid to... spy i didn't
0: mean to derail this he was just a... uh
1: he's in malcolm in the middle
0: yeah it's a very wissy oh, uh it's a yeah, very, it's a very unflattering comparison so, because I cited him as a traditionally unattractive man. If, it's not if in Edward had looked like books, Paul Giamatti. Go movies. ahead and Google him. Uh, if this is not how work this
1: fucking Disney movie with the kid who's like a teenage spy. Amanda Bynes is, is in it,
2: and they end up together. This episode is an homage to poor Mike, who normally would be the hero. Poor Mike. Mike Okay, but also it's kind of
1: annoying when you have those characters that you're not physically attracted to, you're not attracted to in any sense and they are constantly the good guy and you're like, I don't see any reality where this is working. Like, it's annoying that they are made out as the good guy. Like, sometimes you need the Edward that's like, okay, I'm someone you know, Edward is someone I'm physically attracted to. i feel the tension with i want to make all of these grand leaps about that's who the end goal
2: is like edward or uh mike is not deserving of some end okay so you know what i mean okay no 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 i want to interrupt right there because this is the scene that is pivotal to me as a as an adult reader not a 17 year old reading this book because during so immediately after the blood typing Edward rescues Bella and takes her to the nurse's office. And so she spends some time there. They leave. She's doing okay because she obviously just felt faint. And she resolves, you know what? I can't, I don't feel up to gym class. I need to go home. And Edward, instead of saying, you know what? That's a good idea. I support you. He drags her to his car. He says, you know what? You're not in a good state to drive yourself home. I'm going to Force you to my vehicle I will drive you home. I'm not going to listen to you or validate any of your feelings or trust the fact that you're saying you're okay and just say that I am going to take care of you. you're not a good judge of how you can take care of yourself And that is where like I I just had immediate problems with with Edward as a character with Bella as a character saying being okay with this character who decides to be physically controlling of her ooh.
0: Yeah. No matter what her protestations or pronouncements about her own boundaries were, he just overruled her. And uh, that was fundamentally, it'd be one thing if it was 17 year old to 17 year old. You're both working shit out, right? You're both negotiating. Like, I'm I'm not sure where my own limits are. I'm not sure how to respect another person's interests and appetites are. But this dude's actually, uh, this dude's more than a hundred year old man. I get it, he's pretending to be a high school student, but I guess one of the things that fundamentally struck me as problematic is that here's this 17-year-old who's doing the right thing because it seems like the right thing to him, despite his naivety and inexperience, and a 100-year-old man comes along and manipulates her into, maybe maybe for better or worse, like... I'll be honest, I can't recall the explicit details of this scene, you know, whether or not he was forcing her to like, nope, you're going to retire for the day so that you can recover and blah, blah, blah. But then he did it for her own sake. Okay.
2: so I very vividly remember this scene because I wrote it down. He grabs her because she tries to walk away. He grabs her by the back of her jacket and forces her to his car. And, you know, I am completely a fan of saying, okay, this is paranormal fiction, this is fantasy fiction, this is just escapism for the reader. At the moment where it, it seems to portray like it's okay to attempt to control another person because they're not capable of controlling or explaining themselves, I, it infuriated me to see that it was portrayed as okay for this character to completely physically and emotionally manipulate this other person into doing and following their own will. Because that's what they thought was okay.
1: Because the opposite side of this, so sober, um, let me caveat that. <laughs> <laughs> I thought this scene was like, oh my God, he's like taking care of her. Mm-hmm. He, you know, knows best. Like he needs to... Uh, he sees what she needs and he's like, okay, you're trying to be strong for everyone else, but I'm going to take you out of this scenario. You need to go home. You need to rest. But drunk, Katie, which hot takes apparently. This is a little bit, you know, like controlling, like he apparently knows me abusive. Yeah, what is best for her. And it's hard because, like, in that situation, you're like, oh my god, this person recognizes me. They know what I need. They know, you know, that I'm searching for something. Like, you know, the blood typing was a little bit too much. Like, I need to be taken home. I need to rest. But it's like,
2: that's not maybe actually what's happening. And that's not what the character needs. Like I and maybe this is a lot, but I've been in in a position where I have had another person take control of mm-hmm. myself and yeah. and dictate what I should do because that's what they thought what was best for me, but is that actually best for me in a long term perspective, or is that best for them and our relationship? Ooh.
0: oh really <laughs> <laughs> that groaning. was like
1: hurt groaning. Yeah. Let me caveat that.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, that said, you know, I'm in the room with two other people I've known for years. Like, if I felt that they were in a position where they were making a bad decision for the symbol, I would get very assertive. Like, no, listen to me. I give a damn. Trust in the fact that I give a damn. And just listen to my decision. At the same time, I kind of reverse that. I never get that vibe from Edward, which... Actually, upon reflection, maybe that's one of the the clearest reflections of the fact that he is an immortal. Because I do feel like the writing oftentimes does not reflect the fact that he is an immortal with an immortal perspective and does not ref, does not view uh, you know the ephemeral quality of life, the 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 one offs, the occasionals. As the sort of things that one's encounter that one encounters uh, incidentally day to day to life, he just seems very domineering, very controlling, and very two dimensional. He, he he seems to be sandwiched between his own bloodlust and his own inexplicable desire to not harm, which largely goes unexplored in this first book.
1: Because is that intentional on Stephanie Meyer's perspective? Like, did she purposely write him as someone domineering that like understands all the nuance, or did? she bright him as someone that like irrespective of those opinions is he just someone that's domineering or it's like I understand all those you know nuanced secondary feelings but I think that you know the overwhelming perspective is that like you need a little bit time of rest to like you've been overwhelmed by these craziness like do you just need a time to rest or is this like I am someone that thinks I know best for you and I'm telling you that you need to I think Chill that's out. probably
2: one of the criticisms of Edward as a character, is that he's not consistent in his portrayal as an immortal or as a 17-year-old who can't grow up.
0: Yeah. And I would say, too, that, that well, no, actually, I, I think that's a very succinct way of putting it, that he's mm-hmm. a 17-year-old who can't grow up, which is kind of incredible. The, the whole time I was reading it, was like I was expecting him to be a 100-year-old man with 100 years worth of experience and a... Not just 100 years of experience, but a perspective on life, which involves him being immune to many of life's worries, disease and poverty and, 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 and injury and things like that. You know, the, the vagaries of life. He, he's, he's largely immune to it. And for the most part, he just seems to be a typical 17-year-old who just wants to be domineering and controlling and acts on impulse. And yeah, fundamentally, I just thought that was so un- unrealistic and problematic. Like, it's just uncreative writing in my perspective.
1: I love the fact that, like, 17-year-old, you know, characteristic perspectives are so dominant that, like, even 100 years of experience will, like, not be here, you know? (laughs) I get it. I know what it's like to be. But it's also true. Yeah.
2: (laughs) Okay, getting us back to the actual plot. So Edward forces Bella to his car. He drives her home, and they bond over music, which... You know, at turns, I thought was compelling to some extent because he plays a piece of classical music that Bella immediately identifies as Claire de Lune, and he questions her about her relationship with her mom. So Edward, it's in this scene that he comments about the contrast between Bella's physical age and her behavior, which is Bella responds and says, my mom says I was born 35 and I get more middle-aged every year. And this is significant, I think, for both the the reader that's being catered to and just in general, which is, this is, yes, a 17-year-old character, but it should appeal to everyone from age 12 to age, you know, 45, age 65. You should be able to see yourself in this character, which, great, yeah, that's a well-designed character, but also problematic when you, when you introduce themes of, like, controlling heroes and domineering personality traits. Edward... Soon after, explains that you know he and his brothers are going camping near Mount Rainier, beautiful by the way, if you've never seen it, and won't be around for a while.
0: Pick of the week.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Mount Rainier is the pick of the week. It, it really is. Um, it is one of the glories of Washington State. If you've never been here, anyway, it's so moving on. The next pivotal point in the story is the beach trip to La Push, and it's at this one in the story where Bella and Mike and Angela, Jessica, the the base, the clique of high school heads out to the beach for, you know, a breakaway. And at the beach, they meet the childhood friend, which I don't recall if we've introduced before. Uh, I don't think so. But
1: so sober Katie thinks that, you know, team Edward all the way. Uh, (laughs) Drunk Katie? Team Jacob perchance. All the way, maybe like 75% of the way, 25% is still answered
2: by, you know, Team Edward. But also... Yeah. A little bit of background for Jacob. Now, prior to the movie and the cultural phenomenon that was Twilight, Bella acquires her very antiquated truck from Billy and Jacob, who are are members of the Quileute tribe. They are close friends with Charlie, Bella's dad. They sell Bella's truck to Charlie. That is the dynamic there. And they've also grown up with each other. So Jacob and Bella kind of played with each other as kids. They made mud pies together. They (laughs) made mud pies together. This is a theme later on that appears. And so Jacob is a little bit younger. He's like fifteen or sixteen to Bella 17. And which, if you recall being a teenager, that's a significant change.
1: (laughs) Jacob is a child.
2: (laughs) (laughs) So she goes to the beach with her friend group. Jacob is there with a few of his friends from the reservation. And this is this is awkward. Questionable morally. Yeah. Bella starts to hear some rumblings of a rumor surrounding the Cullen family. So during the beach trip, Jacob tells the story of the Cold Ones, and we get to witness Barra's. Oh. Uh, <laughs> shot. I Bar-us. could not tell you what word that was supposed to be. <laughs> Barra's gets a shot. Uh,
1: she's trying to flirt. Does not
2: yeah. work. it's terrible. So we get to witness. Yeah. Is that a rhyme? Sure.
0: Flirt. But also <laughs> work. She, it did work.
2: Bella's attempt at flirting with a fifteen-year-old, and it's just awkward. No, uh, wait. controversial
1: opinion. No, wait a- As a seventeen-year-old, I feel like that's exactly how I would attempt to flirt. In a, like, I didn't even I'm attempt when I was that age. <laughs> Well, it's like you're trying to take advantage, almost, of a younger person, and that's, you're like, oh my god, I'm fair. hot. Uh, but is she? Uh-huh. Wink, wink. Uh, she does that. Jacob, she, she yeah. is.
2: How yeah. old is
0: Jacob in this?
2: He's 15. Baby. So... She puts the pieces together after Jacob's story that the Collins are the old, are the old ones. Oh, <laughs> what? Oh my God. The Collins are the cold ones. And when she gets home from the beach trip, which is kind of uneventful outside of Jacob's story. She does some old school internet research. And so this book was written during the time of like internet modems when like dial-up was still a thing.
1: That was confusing for me, I'll be honest. <laughs>
2: <Yes>. <laughs> the Cullen family is still away from school when Bella, Jessica, and Je- and Angela all decide to go to the Port Angeles to pick out dresses for the spring dance. Bella tags along on this like girl shopping trip because she, to quote fucking stephanie meyer needs the estrogen hit which is fucking weird oh, right I, feel I like that. You do that. but i also feel that like you know i, I i'm with you like there's a girl yeah. sense of like bonding over like oh you look good i'm gonna validate that you look good in this dress yep. that's totally a thing yeah but that she made it like this deliberate instance of bella acknowledging both that she's going for that thing and yeah. doing that thing was fucking weird yeah because i feel like it's always in an
1: like unintentional, like you're like, oh, I want to hang out with my girlfriends, uh, go dress shopping, look at cute things. But it's always like halfway through that you're like, mm, I'm not really having fun anymore. Mm-hmm. But it's like she made this this super intentional. But it's like it's not intentional at the forefront. You think like this is actually going to be fun, and then it's like halfway.
2: Through. It's like meant to make Bella appeal to other females, yeah. which was okay.
1: Again. This whole novel feels like unintentional when you're like sober reading it and then you like drunk read it and you're like,
2: <laughs> um, this, this is r- a <laughs> So anyway, it's a successful trip. And after finding dresses, Bella kind of peels away on her own to go check out this local bookstore in a city she's never been to before. There's no like cell phones at this Era, right? Like that's not a common thing. So she doesn't have that, and her friends are totally like, "Yeah, we'll meet back up at the restaurant. You go off and do your own thing." I don't know about you, but I remember prior to the cell phone age, and that would never have been okay.
1: Uh, I was fully in the cell phone age, and this was like a dream that you could have like your little like cute moment, and then when you got like, oh, "I'm not really into this anymore. I'm gonna like go off and do my own like older person." I read books
2: thing. Like you like dresses. I like books. I'm yeah. going to be an adult. It's kind of how this came across.
1: Yeah. But mm-hmm. I, again, <laughs> I feel like I'm speaking to my issues here, but uh, I related to this, that she wanted to go find a book. She wanted to go find a bookstore. She was, you know, interested in other issues that normal 17 year old girls were. Uh, but then it turned out bad and then someone rescued her.
2: But also, so not okay. I would have never left a fellow friend alone. Like, oh, you. But that's the dream, though, is that you can go do whatever you want. Yeah, but still, like realistically, I would never have let another friend go wander a city by themselves. Like, oh, you want to go to a bookstore as a friend? I don't like to go to a bookstore, but I'm going to go with you because yeah, that's what you want to do. Exactly. Never would have happened. Like, I cannot imagine a reality where I would have gone, even if I kind of okay, liked the other person I was traveling with, let them go off by themselves in a city they've never no, been to absolutely before. Absolutely not. Girl code. Yeah. <laughs> Take care of your own. Oh. <laughs> okay, so that's he wrong. does not understand the girl. he does not get it. So Bella goes off to find a bookstore. She gets lost, and as she's trying to make her way through the city of Los Angeles, she, some shady-looking dudes start to follow her, and. She's aware that she's wandered too far off the beaten path. She's not in the tourist zone anymore. And then she gets cornered. So this group of dudes kind of peel, like separate and corner her. Like a couple are following her, a couple are ahead of her. And she realizes, oh shit, I've been trapped. Like, what do I do? I left my pepper spray in my backpack or at home, whatever, fill in the blank. Basically, she's a damsel. She needs to be rescued. And it's getting to the the absolute Ultimate moment where, like, either things are going to go to shit or she's going to get rescued. And then, out of nowhere, this shiny silver car speeds up, <laughs> flips around, pulls like a J turn or something. The passenger door, like, flips open. Edward's sitting in the car and he's like, Get the fuck in the car <laughs> or something like that. Because, again, this speaks to the 17 year old perspective
1: that, uh, You know, reasonably, you're not going to be let alone to go look at books and pursue your own interests. Like, there's always going to be someone, like, protecting you or, you know, an outside perspective looking in at you and making sure you're okay. But it's like the one time you do that, you're in trouble all of a sudden, and then there's someone to rescue you. Yeah,
2: but so he's been away from school for days. Like, he has no idea she's in Port Angeles and he's But again,
1: the, it, like, speaks to oh, no, someone no, no, else. No. <laughs> I,
2: I don't disagree with you. Like, 17-year-old Jordan was, like, full send on this. Yep. Like, oh, save me, please. Yep. Someone recognizing your needs before you even recognize them.
1: Yeah, exactly. A plus. Yep. But not A plus from, like, a I'm going to put you in my cult perspective.
2: But like, if you look <laughs> at this from, like, an older perspective, like, the way we're treating it, seeing this dude come out of nowhere when he, you know, if you look at all of the circumstances leading up to this particular scene had no idea that you were even in Port Angeles and he shows up out of nowhere to save you stalkered me and creepy as fuck.
1: Which is crazy though, because it, from like the 17 perspective, you're not thinking of creepers, you're not thinking of stalkers, you're just thinking of someone that like recognizes your needs, like someone that recognizes the fact that you're and trying to, take to do something. Care of, yeah. yeah, you're trying to do something you want, and then all of a sudden, someone else is intruding on that and trying to take advantage of you. But you want someone that just
2: respects the fact that you just wanted to go to a bookstore. It's and- so fucking unhealthy. Anyway, Edward shows up, but res- it's
1: cute though it's cute (laughs) if you're from a sober
2: perspective and you don't recognize the fact that this is extremely complicated and not okay so he rescues her he takes her to the restaurant that she was supposed to meet angela and jessica at and they have just finished eating when she and edward show up which again like i would never accept that as like even if we're only remote friends i would never just be like oh you know what i haven't seen this girl for hours we were supposed to meet up here for dinner and she's not here that's not okay so this is the point where it diverges from like realistic 17 year old behavior to like oh we're just gonna make plot decisions to push the romantic relationship along Mm
1: -hmm. yeah but it Again, it makes sense from the, like, 17-year-old dreamscape reality. Yeah,
2: dreamscape, but not realistic in the slightest. No. And you could make paranormal romance realistic in a sense. Yeah. But this is not how any 17-year-old, even if you were operating in a fantasy setting, would operate. Like, I would never let them go off on their own with someone. I would never, like, oh, I'm going to sit down and have dinner. Knowing that my friend is or acquaintance is lost in the city and is not eating with me, like, not okay. Sorry, that was a rant. I'm going to drink. It's, uh... <laughs> depressing though
1: <laughs> that you can't go out and just like go to a bookstore and do whatever you want without like some negative scary man or person trying to, you know, intrude on that. Like I feel like it kind of breaks the 17-year-old dream perspective that you can just go out and do whatever you want without having someone that's like overwatching or protecting you. Like it's just that scary kind of uh required safety measure that you have someone that's protecting you that you can't just like go and do whatever you want Mm -hmm. that you need that and it's just kind of speaking to reality i guess that
2: kind of feeds into like their whole experience dining too where he's like okay you need to eat i'm going to watch you eat which is another characteristic of a controlling relationship and personality which is i'm going to dictate your needs and desires at every point of the day to the point where i'm going to tell you if you need to eat a basic human like necessity. Yeah. And so they're sitting at this restaurant and he's like, you're going to order, you're going to eat something. And it's this in this scene where Bella witnesses Edward have this interaction with this extremely beautiful like hostess and waitress. Mm-hmm. And they're fawning all over him, and he couldn't give them the time of day because she's there. Yeah. What 17 year old doesn't desire that?
1: Yeah, exactly. The uh, like twisting of the desires to meet basic needs to eat, but also with the need to be like recognized as more beautiful, more interesting than someone else that's maybe like more beautiful than you are. That Edward recognizes, like, no, I'm, you know, I'm the one that you're interested in. You know, you want to take care of, of me, but it's like recognizing that like that speaks to every 17 year olds to be seen as like an adult, to be be seen as an invi- like individual. I'm so sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> but also like it still, you know, speaks to what every 17 year old wants to know. And it's I think that's kind of the scary part of Twilight that it like sounds cute from a surface. Like service, please take a shot. Uh, but like from a surface perspective, from a surface perspective,
0: take a shot. <laughs> from a certificate's perspective,
1: I mean, like seventeen-year-olds want to be seen. Oh, in... and I want to see you <laughs> take a shot.
0: Sorry, that was one. Of, that was one of my notes on on at on Edward is that as I've said before in the in the podcast or in previous episodes that he does seem very two-dimensional and that it's this he's just strung between his bloodlust and his self-restraint and insofar as he's interested in Bella. that again comes back to a bloodlust because her scent is intoxicating and his self-restraint and that he doesn't want to murder her because she's so fascinating. So one of the things that I think is interesting about, or maybe not interesting, but it's one of my critiques about the writing is that Edward is so, he's such a simplistic character. If I had to guess, and I hate to impute the motives of the author, Stephanie Meyer, but it does seem to me like she started with the idea of what would ultimate wish fulfillment for a 17-year-old introvert look like? And then she built that. She built a character to to check every box. I feel. Oh, seen. he's incredible. He's, he's incredibly seductive. He's mysterious. He's powerful. Not only all of that. Setting all of that aside, despite your. Uh, I don't want to say banality, but I'm like she's appealing to a particular to to a general audience of a, a nerdy, bookish girl in high school. Despite despite all that, he despite a, a century of, of experience, of, of lifetime experience, having lived through history, despite all that, not only is he interested in you but he's interested in you in an eternal way, in the in the form of almost a chemical addiction. And in that sense, I think Edward is built Heroine.
2: as heroin. Whoa! Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, but yeah. seriously, that yeah. that's the comparison.
0: Yeah, heroin with an e, but what? for his heroin without an e. And that's my that's kind of my one of my core criticisms with the book is that Edward it seems so simplistic and that he is just an object of obsession, which obsesses equally passionately back. To the protagonist, who is, in fact, a proxy for the reader.
2: So this actually is a great segue into how we conclude part two, which is they leave Port Angeles, Edward takes her home. And after she arrives, you know, back at home, she has this dramatic realization that she is unconditionally and irrevocably in love with him. Mm -hmm. I'm sorry. Like, I have read that line, irrevocably in love. And it's just so misplaced in this book. Because they've interacted all of three or four times, you cannot be in love with someone after that number of interactions. It's completely surface level. It's shallow. It's does injustice to the word of romantic
1: love. But again, from like the seventeen-year-old perspective, like that's all it
0: takes.
2: I know like, it's, but this is page one ninety-five of out of four
1: hundred. Exactly,
2: yeah. she's in love with him now.
0: Yeah, and and. That's from the seventeen-year-old perspective, but I, re- I and, and I really don't think Bella is poorly drawn as a seventeen-year-old and with her obsessions and infatuations and 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 the, the the competing interests that she experiences and stuff throughout the book. I think she's actually pretty well drawn. The struggle, I think, is the author fails to convey what you might expect from the experience of a hundred-year-old man who should have a much more tempered approach while he. As we're soon to, uh, we'll, get, we'll get to the summary. Yeah, child. as he seduces yeah. a seventeen-year-old, and then confesses his undying—excuse uh, uh, me, his undying and, and uh, unrelenting devotion to this seventeen-year-old girl—just seems like he's. A, I have a hard time respecting a character like him with a hundred years of experience, who fails to doubt his own impulses. I, I mean, that seems like I i know that he's not human in the strictest sense. But I mean, it, it does make me question the the drawing of the character and that he does not second guess his own impulses, which is to say, oh, yeah, I'm in love with you. Your scent is intoxicating and I've never experienced anything anything like you. Well, pause for a moment. Do, do you really think after four encounters that you should confess your devotion and your lifelong commitment to this person? Mm-hmm. I don't know.
1: But that kind of speaks to part two of Twilight is that... That's his like eternal question or his eternal kind of confusion is that throughout the second part of Twilight is he almost feels like he's saying goodbye throughout the whole thing. Like he's constantly on the edge of like, I know I'm not good for you, but I like can't help myself. But it's always on the edge of like, I am two seconds away from saying goodbye to you because I know what's best for you. Okay.
2: Yes, also that that point. but that's another mechanism to force the decision on on the mm-hmm. other character to be like, oh I like I can't bring myself to say no because of I'm suffering X amount, right? So now it's on Bella to be like, oh, I see you and how much you're suffering and I'm going to be the strong one. It kind of tracks as a cop out. Yeah. Like it's never okay for someone with Edward's amount of experience.
1: Yeah. Which I kind of think speaks to the dichotomy of him as a character. Like he... Is also a person who, you know, wants to have an emotional relationship with someone else. But he's also a predator in the way that he is, you know, a vampire. He is built to be something that's attractive to regular humans that he has... I feel like I said... You humans said wrong. humans wrong, and that's a shot, Katie. Girl, it's empty. Uh, humans. Like, he has, you know, eternal beauty. He has eternal, like, all of these crazy, like, abilities and stuff. But he is also just, you know, a human. He has all these, like, built-in things. So it kind of speaks that dichotomy. Like, is he attracting Bella of his own impulse? Is Or is he attracting Bella as, like potential prey and i feel like that's kind of speaks to edward's character throughout like this book and all of them and that's his struggle too is like am i actually attracted to bella or is this more of a like i want to drink her blood <laughs>
2: so i will grant you that that edward is consistently portrayed as like the outcast of his own family where he's younger and, and less mature and less experienced and needing to find himself and his purpose but it's just, it feels wrong in in the context of Bella as a normal 17-year-old. And she's even not quite normal, but so even given her maturity and her level of experience, almost portrayed as an adult, mm-hmm. taking care of her own parents, it's still, it's still too much, I think, a difference between her and Edward. But, you know, following this Port Angeles experience, uh, he saves her, they return, and this is kind of the kickoff to, like, the beginning of their relationship, they're a couple now. It's a, it's a weird couple. They're not quite sure of what they are in relation to them each other and to other people, but they definitely know that they're together and they're just still figuring that out. Mm-hmm. So the spring dance comes along and instead of going to Seattle, as Bella had kind of assumed she would as an excuse for these dudes asking her, Edward asks her if she would go with him to this other place. And she's like, you know what? Uh, You're hot. I'm going to go with you no matter what. Yeah. So that is the end of part two of Twilight. That's a lot of back and forth, a lot of uh, debate and discussion as far as the value of these characters. So like emotional
1: arguments. Yeah,
2: I feel I feel like we've been more invested in this character set than we've been in before. So But it deserves it. Because I feel like Twilight is the
1: quintessential, like cultural moment of, you know, the early 2010s. Mm-hmm. Like everyone saw their self as Bella and it's like it's something that deserves kind of a dissection of like why mm-hmm. did we see ourselves as Bella like what do we see attractive in Edward and I feel like we kind of like skim past it is like a oh we just all want that like controlling male figure but it's like do
2: we what's wrong with <laughs> ourselves internally that we need someone to come <laughs> in and control ourselves for us
1: especially yeah. uh the fucking like uh, book talk book that's like super popular right now, right now um haunting Adeline
2: I don't want to talk about that book, I know. you'll get me all sorts of spots. Did up. you try reading no, it? No, I didn't. It's I didn't sitting either. in my sample shelf. Yeah. I've heard so many bad things about it. Yeah, but I've also heard so many good things about it.
1: But I've again, I feel like it speaks to the exact audience that saw themselves in Bella. And so I feel like it's something, it's like a book, a cultural moment that deserves a little bit more dialogue than, you know, it's just been written off as a bunch of 17-year-old girls that are like, oh, you know, I'm a fan of, you know, Team Edward or Team Bella, like, it deserves a little bit more dialogue, a little bit more dissection of, like, why? And again, like, even as a 27-year-old, I'm like, you know, Twilight was good. Like, I liked it. Like, it's someone recognizing your needs. But it's like, maybe let's recognize, like, why Edward was recognizing her needs. Like, was it the predator in him? Or was it, like, the actual lover? And I think it kind of, you know,
2: tends toward the predator. <laughs> this is a great question for you readers how did you find twilight like if you read it as a young teenager if you're reading it now as Mm -hmm. an an older adult what what is your perspective we want to know please chime in we'd be curious if you if you align with there's some value in this there's you know a a good character development as far as how the relationship progresses Mm -hmm. just just tell us outside of the movie is like a comfort movie let's like caveat that the movie is a separate (laughs) episode for a reason Thank you for listening this far and from our shelf to yours. We'll see you on the next page.
1: Hi readers, if you'd like
2: to help us pick our next book, send us a message on Instagram. Or if you'd like to just listen, we post new episodes every Monday and Wednesday on Spotify, Apple, and Amazon. Thanks for listening.
1: Bussin'. (laughs)